0: Hey, it's Casey. FastCo Works has a bonus episode for you today. It's part of a custom podcast called The First Step, produced in partnership with McKinsey & Company. I'll be back next week with another episode of Creative Conversation. I'm Chris Denson, and this is The First Step, a custom podcast from FastCo Works and McKinsey & Company. When you physically leap The angle in which you jump is critical to how successful you'll be landing. Business isn't much different. In this podcast series, we'll talk to successful innovators who have launched creative new digital businesses inside established companies and share the lessons they learned in making the leap. On today's episode, you'll hear my conversation with Jesse Dorogusker, hardware lead at Square. Then you'll hear from Ralph Dreischmeier, the global leader of Leap by McKinsey. We discuss how to take that first step in turning any idea into action. I'm here with Jesse Dorogusker, the hardware lead at square. Say hello, Jesse. How are you? Hello hello I'm doing well let's uh, let's start at the very beginning. You've had a pretty staid career thus far was was what you do designing products and hardware kind of like the 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 childhood dream when when little Jesse was a boy <laughs> was is this
1: what you were dreaming of? Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, I wanted to be a baseball player or a rock star. You can't fake being a baseball player for very long, so that fell off pretty quickly. Uh, rock star, you can fake for a surprisingly long time, and I took that as far as I could into high school, uh, but then went to college and, and discovered design and engineering. So, so now you've 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 made a pretty uh, distinct transition, um,
0: working with, with companies like Apple and design, and also obviously uh, Square so i guess i want to kind of start a little bit at the apple point in time um and really just understand some of the lessons and experiences and struggles that you experienced there that have informed how you operate now at a a, you know at at, at
1: a square sure i i joined apple a year and a half or so into the beginning of ipod Uh, so i was there around the third generation of ipod the team was 35 people it really ran like a startup or a pirate ship inside what was a computer company with an uncertain future. Uh, and I learned a tremendous amount from the people around me, from the leader of the team, Tony Fadell, uh, and a little bit of influence from Steve at the time. And the things you learn at Apple, uh, and it's probably still true, I have been there for a while, but the uh, first thing you learn is excellence. The incredibly high par that people set for themselves, for each other, for technology, for execution, for precision in your word, for keeping your commitments, it's incredible and it's something that uh, I've been able to carry out of there to Square and make sure we're doing that. A second lesson you learn pretty quickly when you're operating at scale is that engineering and operations have to work hand in hand. And the last, probably the most influential in my experience at Apple and at Square is understanding what it means to build a culture that supports outstanding design. And it isn't that you just hire a couple of great designers and let it rip, you have to build an entire company around that purpose. There's a couple of words that kind of stood out to me in your response, Uh, one being uncertainty
0: and the other being excellence. And uh, I feel like a lot of times those two things don't always go hand in hand, right? Like if you're uncertain, you may not know what you're striving for. But how do you balance out that gap between, hey, there's some ambiguous goal that we have, but we also need to be excellent and we have to have this sort of startup culture um, all blended
1: into one? How do you how do you manage that? There's a lot of sweat and a lot of building and testing. Uh, Not being afraid to iterate, not being afraid to build prototypes and models that you aren't sure will work. Uh, This is hard for a startup because those mistakes can be expensive. You try to do them as early as you can so they're not as expensive, Uh, but certainly operating within a bigger company like Apple, and now where we are in Square, we can run a few ideas in parallel, try them out, see what our manufacturing limits are, see what our materials limits are, see what customer opinion is about what we what we build. And you have to be willing to throw out an absurdly high percent of what you prototype. You know, with the, the theme of, of the series just being t- taking a leap,
0: what sorts of hesitations do you find, even inside large organizations where you do have the bandwidth and the resources and the aptitude, you know, where do you
1: find more hesitation in taking the leap with the teams that you interface with? Uh, it's it's pervasive, it's, a, it's an, a combination of fear generally, fear that it won't be successful, and then accumulated with that fear is is worry, which is that the idea presented, the prototype built, the, the idea put together might not work for all of these reasons. It's, it's one of the reasons that, that new ideas really need to start with a lot of uh, protection and, and gentleness, scrutiny and iteration, but they still... You can't take 2,000 people and, and ask them their opinion on something that's new and fresh. Uh, otherwise, it'll just get worried to death.
0: Yeah, it's, that's a good one. Uh, you know, it, it, when I think about fear and worry, it's, you know, there's a, there's this philosophical end goal that we're afraid of, which either we're going to be fired or we're going to look silly, um, you know, but there's also an exciting, you know, an excitement to building something and making something new. Uh, from a cultural standpoint, how do you influence and, and maximize that culture of exploration?
1: Well, you have to be present for it. You have to be there and look at models and prototypes and talk about them and hear those worries out and and not panic. You know, I think one of the things I'm known for as a leader is my calmness, at least on the outside. Uh, and you have to just be able to take all that in and make sure you're learning from it and make sure the people around you know that it's OK to learn from it. It's also okay to challenge some assumptions uh, that you've made in the past, even some assumptions that were the formula for your success in the first place. Uh, I can give you an example. Part of Square's early uh, genius predated me, Jack and, and Jim. Their idea was people are carrying around these incredible modern smartphones that have beautiful screens and internet connectivity, an unbelievable amount of compute power But they couldn't accept a credit card with it. So their idea was to do the very least they could to connect the billion credit cards that people are carrying around to the smartphones that everyone had. And that mindset of complementing this explosion of great phones and tablets was the genius idea of of the company. It's still a very big part of our business. But when we decided to build uh, first the Square Register and now the Square Terminal, we really had to challenge that original assumption, which is is there value is there customer value is there customer need and demand for something that is all in one that does not depend on a consumer device and we discovered that the answer was yes to those questions but it was still pretty scary to challenge that original assumption Uh,
0: that's great and especially when you know just making that leap of
1: challenging
0: your notions you know you've been in the game since the ipod days um, and obviously with the the data sets and the tools by which you can measure success and kind of predict and make really good bets um, what sort of tools do you have now at your disposal that you didn't have before that that have become a really important part of your your day-to-day
1: yeah it's it's a continuum so there's not always a step change but the cell phone industry has thrown off a tremendous amount of technology for the rest of the industry. There's cell phone technology in a smart thermostat. There's cell phone technology in square terminal. You can imagine putting an accelerometer or a gyroscope in a, in a belt buckle, and a pair of shoes. And it, and they used to just be things you'd put in fancy cars. So there's really this distribution of tremendous embedded, low-power, high-compute technology available to more and more people. Uh, and you see it in great things like Square Terminal, you see it in weird things like smart coffee cups. But the, the point is that all of this technology is just more and more accessible, not just for products, but for prototyping. So that's probably the biggest influence. Uh, so a lot of those tools have changed over <laughs> wow. time. I guess, you know, that got you to
0: now. And then as you look forward, you know, when people are talking about things like artificial intelligence or 5G and what that's gonna do for the Internet of Things or augmented reality, like what are you sort of excited about to begin to explore as far as, you know, customer transactions and where Square can play um, a little bit more intensely in, in areas like that?
1: Yeah, I think you're right about those trends, having having more bandwidth, having more compute power, a tremendous amount of compute power not necessarily up in the cloud or not only up in the cloud but right there in your hands right in the credit card you're holding or the phone you're holding or the terminal you're about to communicate with what that's going to change I think is the experience that people can have out in the real world and mostly it'll lead to a much better personalization of the experience for the buyer and the seller there's still people who walk into stores all over the world and their buyers don't know who they are until they check out um, what this is coming up against of course though is a competition for data, data privacy, and really making sure that consumers can own their identity. So I think that's one of the reasons it's not going super fast, but all of it's super possible.
0: Yeah. I've always kind of referred to that as mass personalization. You know, how do we uh, get individuals uh, what they need so deeply ingrained in their day-to-day and make it as seamless as possible without without the the creep factor. Um, That's right. And and good luck figuring that out.
1: I'll give you a tiny example that showed up in the Square Reader. Right now our chip and contactless reader to save power will go to sleep after two hours. And it doesn't learn over time that for some businesses, two hours is too long, and for some businesses, two hours and too short. So sure, we could put in a setting there and let people adjust it for themselves, but there's so much we can learn from who the, who the business is, what hours they run, uh, their their history, projecting off into the future. These devices can all get more personalized than their own behavior, let alone all the things about consumer identity.
0: And then I, I guess with all these things, right, uh, again, you've, you've got to bridge a gap between you know, the anxiety of taking a leap into something like 5G or, you know, Internet of Things or any of the, the number of different things that we talked about. Um, so when you start these new projects, like, how do you bridge the gap
1: between idea and execution? Man, that makes the difference between academic product development and actual product development. <laughs> right. For a lot, it's just jumping in. If you're not building prototypes, if you're not making sketches, if you're not building models that challenge the status quo... Uh, it's going to feel increasingly painful to start something new. So you have to always be in a state of starting something new. There isn't very often a start point. There should just be an accumulation of things that you've tried but put on the shelf and then pull back off the shelf and then try it again or changed based on new information. The other thing is to make sure you're talking to customers. In whatever business you're in, for us it's consumers and individuals uh, using us for financial services and other commerce purpose but whoever you are you have to talk to the people who are using your product and that's really your best chance of breaking through the assumptions you've made about your product in the first place and if you can do those two things be kind of quick to quick to prototype and try stuff and also be listening to your customers maybe more than you're listening to yourself sometimes uh, that'll that'll help you bridge a little bit and and with all
0: the, I mean, it sounds like you on a daily basis you have a huge decision tree of things you can develop, experiences that you can create, where you get information from. What's like the, the biggest
1: challenge you face on a day-to-day basis? Filtering. Filtering. Most of the things you say no to or you say not yet to or you say why, why now, why is this better than what we already have or what we had already planned? And you have to do that in a way that doesn't stop the questions. <laughs> The questions have to keep coming if you <laughs> right. want a big, healthy product development organization. But the, the editorial function, the, the filtering, the curiosity, the skepticism uh, has been uh, a good tool. Also something I learned at Apple for sure. Uh, what, have, what have you gotten wrong so far? Can you tell us the, a boat that you missed? A boat that I missed? Uh, I was working on a very strange set of projects and technologies in the mid-90s while the dot-com boom began. My college friends went off to start Yahoo and Excite and and Google. This is in your Um, Zeke Havarici days? (laughs) No comment. (laughs) Uh, I think that was just not me me not seeing the world for what it was at the time, just me being really interested in a specific technology space, which maybe was right for someone uh, in his 20s, but uh, I certainly hope I hadn't done that again. What advice would you give to others that are trying to get their ideas off the ground? I think everyone needs to develop skills in prototyping, and you can use a really broad definition of prototyping. It could be uh, a narrative, a paragraph or two. It could be uh, a mood board. It can be physical devices. And if what you're interested in are consumer electronics or the kinds of things we work on at Square, uh, you have to get some facility with mechanical, electrical, and software engineering. And if you're not working at the intersection of those, you're going to be at a loss. So. I know some people who have a practice where you're not allowed to come to a meeting unless you have a prototype. You can really raise the bar on on prototyping skill and agility. And if you're trying to get something off the ground and if you're trying to persuade somebody, prototypes are the best way to go.
0: So much uh, amazing information. Thank you for joining us today. You're welcome. It was great to be here. Jesse Dorogusker, Square. We will talk to you soon. And now, my conversation with Ralph Dreischmeier and how Leap by McKinsey is helping companies take that first step in launching new businesses. R- Ralph, how are you doing today? Yeah, very well, thank you. Let's let's talk a little bit about McKinsey Leap. Um, where exactly did this idea, this business
2: venture come from for McKinsey? Yeah, so so look, Leap is a, is a brand new idea from McKinsey. It's a brand that brings together all of our business building capabilities under one name. You know, With Leap we, we help clients to build fully operational new businesses from scratch um, that work in harmony with, with the corporate parent actually and basically turning a new business idea into business as usual. And we've been doing this work for years, leading over about 200 business builds globally and uh, we firmly believe companies can no longer afford to create just venture-style startups with low probability of success, but they must think of new business built as a strategic capability to, to drive growth, to disrupt their industry, and to stay ahead of the competition. That's why we created Leap. All right, so, Ralph, I wanted to to
0: get into a little bit more of the brass tacks. Why, why is building business so important for successful companies in, in this way?
2: You know, we're living in the age of dis- disruption, as, as, as we all know, and... Uh, where are innovative and new business disrupting incumbent business models across almost any sector in any geographies, and that means even if you're doing well now, you know, you can't rest on your rest on your laurels. So business building, from our perspective, is not a choice anymore. It's it's a differentiating capabilities that all enterprises need to survive and and to prosper. And successful companies have 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 key advantages, you know, they, they've got resources, they've got money, they've got infrastructure, they've got a brand awareness. That means that if they can innovate, they're in a great position and that's where Leap comes in. We help established companies think like startups so they, they are more able to take a good idea and run with it while um, making the most of their existing advantages and assets. And we call it that kind of, uh, they create this unfair, unfair advantage. And you only need to look at some of the biggest growth stories in the, in the past 15-20 years to, to see uh, that digital business build, building actually works. You know, Whether they look at Amazon who moves from an online book retailer to a cloud service market leader or Netflix from a DVD rental company to a content producer with you know, 130 million subscribers on this episode we're actually talking about acting you know which as that first sort of uh,
0: let's get in here and do this together so how have you guys encouraged organizations to overcome and get around analysis paralysis probably at the beginning stage in action as well as well as when you are actually uh, you know on the
2: train and it's moving pretty pretty rapidly uh, yeah, it, it's a, it's a, it's a very good question. What we I think what we spend a lot of time in time on is really finding the right team, and uh, that is not only the right team in terms of expertise and skills, but also in terms of mindset. You know, we need the entrepreneurial spirit. We need to have this mindset of failing is actually okay. Failing fast is actually what we want, and therefore creating this speed in everyone's behavior on a day-to-day basis that actually once you establish that that then continues throughout the whole journey that's great um so i guess almost last
0: but not least if you could give some advice to the audience uh, on tools or techniques that kind of helped you guys create something like leap uh, what would that be
2: i think it's it's definitely you know a, a tricky one for any any incumbent and for many of our clients and that's actually why we also we call it leap because there is a little bit of a you have to make the leap because what we encourage clients to do who are used to run their business in a in a in a traditional way of managing performance, increasing performance and productivity, we ask them to to do something new, which is uncertain, unknown, and we don't know the outcome. And by the way, it might not work, it might actually fail. So encouraging the the key leaders of that incumbent to be really fully supportive of that leap that they are about to do and empower the individuals that they put them in charge of that new business build um, to to allow them to explore to experiment to test and learn so strong leadership from within the incumbent is absolutely absolutely crucial wow i, I, I love all the information you have in your head and, and what you guys have put into
0: practice Thank you for joining us on The the First Step. Thank you for having me. That's all for today. The First Step is produced by Fastco Works in partnership with McKinsey & Company. I'm your host, Chris Denson, at Densonology on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you for listening.